0: Hi there, welcome to the Causeway Coast Vineyard podcast. We are a church
1: who are passionate about seeing the transformation of individuals and institutions in our city through the generations to see all things new in our community. We hope you enjoy this message.
0: Okay, good morning. Welcome to Causeway Coast Vineyard. Let me just add my welcome to the one you got from Steph. And it's great to have you here. Um, I expect there may be some people visiting us this week. Any visitors? Well done, well done. People are always nervous to raise their hands when you're a visitor, aren't you? Because you're like, what are they going to do to me? I'm not going to do anything embarrassing. But you there, why don't you tell us a testimony from your life? No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I promise, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You're very welcome. And it's great. And if you, how many are were were visitors and you were here for the past week? No one? Oh, you guys. Oh, well done. And these guys just showed up for this week, and I'm so sorry. We're only allowed one week of summer per year. And this year we did it all in one week. That was incredible. Um, Tori and I were in the States, my wife. And um, my name's Trey, by the way, if you don't know me. And um, my wife and I were in the States visiting family, and um, the weather was unreal. I mean, too unreal. It was like 40 degrees Celsius, you know, which is, Yeah. I, uh, during one of the weddings that I did while I was there, I preached on hell, which felt appropriate. And I'm kidding. I didn't do that at a wedding. Come on, guys. Not the time for that. And it's great when I come back and the weather gets good here. So whatever you guys did to make the weather good while I was away, please do it again. Is it a dance that you do? I don't know. River dance? Is it a Irish dancing? No, I really don't, because I think it'd be hard to get us back on track. Anyway, let's get back on track. <laughs> Man, we've had an incredible morning already, and um, if you're just joining us online, you're, you're so welcome as well, and we, we've been talking about miracles and parables of the kingdom. That's kind of been our journey over the summer, and it's not really a series. These are all standalone, so if you haven't heard the other messages, that's fine, but you can go back and catch them if you want to go back and see them on Facebook or on YouTube. First, before I jump into the parable for this morning, I want to talk really quickly again about what parables are. They're they're not allegories. They're not a story where you're looking for a deep, hidden meaning. The meaning is usually right in the story. And they're not true stories, but they're stories to make a point. And that point is usually right in plain view for those of us who are listening. Um, We're not looking for some sort of hidden trickery. It's a little bit like when you're trying to teach a kid something, and you tell them a story. Anyone remember the little engine that could? No one? Like one person. Maybe that's not a story here. Maybe I should tell you guys. It's about a little engine that was climbing a hill. And it kept saying, I think I can, I think I can. And then when it got to the top of the hill, the engine began to go, I know I can, I know I can. And then we got there and said, I knew I could, I knew I could. Now, that's not an actual real story about a talking engine. You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. Do they not tell that story in Northern Ireland? By the way, you can do it. That's the message of this story. You can do it. Wow, I had to do a whole other message. I should have have asked Steph beforehand. But again, you don't tell that story because you want the kids to learn about an engine. You want them to learn that actually they can do things that are hard, that they can believe in themselves. And again, the same way what Jesus does so often is he tells a story and he's not trying to do some hidden trickery. He's trying to go, listen, let the Holy Spirit, let the ones who are listening be able to hear. For him or her who has ears to listen, they will hear. And so what we want to do really quickly this morning before we jump into this parable is we just want to invite the Holy Spirit to open our ears and our eyes and our hearts this morning because we want more than just some facts. We want more than just a little story. We want something that transforms our lives. So Holy Spirit, come. And as we look at your word together this morning, Father, would you would you come, would you come, And and, and would you just let the Holy Spirit open our, our, our hearts, our eyes, our ears, to hear, to see, and to be transformed by your story. So this morning, I want to look at the parable of the unmerciful servant. And this has always been one of the parables that's fascinated me. It's, it's really on the nose, and it's quite rabbi-like. Um, many of you may not know this, but there's a small part of me that's Jewish. It's just my right thumb. No, I'm just kidding. It's just, I am partly Jewish. I'm also partly Nigerian, but you knew that. It's true, it's true. Well, we've done the test, man, don't mock, okay? It's like, it's like a 1% Jewish, 3% Nigerian, 4%. The rest is just poor white trash. So that's, that's me, okay? Yeah, it's, it's good. But one of the things that I love about the Jewish community, and particularly about the way that the rabbis taught, is the rabbis, you, you would go to a rabbi and you'd say, Rabbi, what do I do about this situation? And often instead of just telling you a system or giving you a prescription, what they would often go is go, well... Let me tell you a story. There once was a man. And this is very much what Jesus does. Jesus, often when he speaks to someone, he'll give them a story to back it up. And he goes, let me tell you this story. There once was a man. There was a woman who, there was a traveler. And this is what he does. And and there's such grace in story. It's so different than prescription. There's such a grace when a story comes alive within us. And that's why when we look at the Bible, we want to engage with it. It's the story of God. God's telling us a bigger and better story of his character and his love for us. And so often we the we come to the Bible is we want it to be our science book, our encyclopedia, our guidebook, our rule book. And I'm not saying it doesn't have some of those facets, but at the bottom of it, it's a better story of who humanity can be when they're reconnected to their creator. And that's the story we want to engage with. The story of God is telling a bigger story, and that's what Jesus does right here. So let's jump into it. So we're in Matthew 18, and what we're going to do is we're going to start with the parable of the unmerciful servant, and then we're going to kind of focus outward and outward like that, kind of going backwards through the scripture. So let me begin with this part. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven times. And then immediately, just like a rabbi would do, Jesus goes, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like, and he tells a story about a man. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back exactly what the other servant had said to the master. But that servant refused and instead he went and he had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Yikes. That's not one of those stories that ends up like, you know, and then the lamb was found and the lamb was happy forever. There's quite a sting in the bottom of it. And sometimes that's maybe why we avoid this parable. But there's something so much deeper here. Jesus is telling a deeper story. It's right on the nose, and it's so easy for us to see. See, it was beginning there where Peter was actually doing a little bit of humble bragging. You know what humble bragging is? You guys have heard that phrase, humble bragging? It's like when you come in and you go, boy, I'm really tired. Why are you so tired, Trey? Well, I was up at 3.30 this morning praying for the nation's. That's a humble brag, right? Or when your wife goes, why'd you come to bed so late? You're like, well, I was cleaning the kitchen, putting our children to bed, and mowing the grass at 11 p.m. All for you, my love. That's a humble brag. And the reason that Peter's kind of humble bragging here is because the rabbis taught that you should forgive three times. That That was your rule. And the rabbis were great at missing the point and making a rule or a prescription out of something that was a deeper story of who we could become. So the rabbis said, you need to forgive three times and then you're done. And so Peter, and and again, the reason they did that, just so you will know the scriptures from that, that's from Amos 1. And verses 3 through 13, you can go read it later, but again, what happens in that part of the story is that there's a nation that's annoying Israel, they're attacking Israel, and and God forgives them three times, and then he punishes the enemies of Israel. And the rabbis went, okay, we'll do the same. So you just forgive three times. And so when Peter comes and says, how many times should I forgive? (laughs) Seven. Jesus goes, no, 70 times seven and this is a perfect example here of the rabbis hearing the story and missing the point and making it into a rule rather than a heart positioning and an attitude. See, Peter actually felt that seven times was so much more than three and it was so gracious. And seven in the Bible, seven is a number of completion. So you can see where Peter's going, I guess I've just forgiven them seven times and that should be enough because it's complete. But Jesus takes that number and he says, no, 70 times seven. And again, that's almost saying Infinity. And again, if we read that story, we were like, oh, let's get a prescription. You'd be like, well, 70 times seven, that's 490. 490 forgiveness, I'm done. But what Jesus is saying there, again, because seven is the number of completion and 70 is like multiplying that by 10, Jesus is going, you need to live in forgiveness, not just do an act of forgiveness. You need to live a life that is forgiving in the way that it lives. You need to be a person of forgiveness because Jesus was trying to show that forgiveness is a position of the heart. It's not just an action of the will. Peter was looking for a rule that he could outdo, but Jesus was showing him a lifestyle that can never be bound by bitterness because see, forgiveness sets us free. When we live lives that forgive, bitterness has no room to grow in our hearts. And I don't know if you've learned this or not, but I have over my years. Bitterness takes up so much more room in your heart than love, doesn't it? (laughs) That was an incredible moment. Everyone with gray hair went, yeah. Because we know, don't we? We know how much room in our heart has been filled up with bitterness. Love doesn't take near as much room. The crazy thing is bitterness makes our heart feel smaller and closed down. But love, love like takes up space and expands our hearts and then we just have more room for it. And Jesus is trying to show a way to live free. The unforgiveness that we often live in for others, it punishes us more than the one who wounded us generally. See, Jesus isn't giving Peter a system. He's showing Peter how to live in freedom, and that freedom that Jesus promises. And then what he does is he goes, let me tell you a story to make this clearer. And then he starts the story about the unmerciful servant. Therefore, there was a king who wanted to settle his accounts. Now, here's the deal. This servant owed 10,000 bags of gold. Now, if we go to the original language there, what it actually says is 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. And a talent in those days was equal, again, this is crazy, one talent was equal to 20 years of a day laborer's wages. So one talent was 20 years of wages. This servant owned 10,000 talents. That's all the gold in the world, isn't it? In fact, historians actually talk about the fact that that amount that the servant owed was more than the taxes of Syria, Phoenicia, Judea, and Samaria combined. Let that sink in for a second. Imagine when you're opening your online banking account on your phone. Do you, do you ever do that nervously? I don't want to see. But imagine that you open it up and you suddenly owe the UK national debt. You know, or you get that thing from your bank. We've just noticed you've gone into your overdraft. By 38 billion pounds. <laughs> right? What do you do then? You go, you, you don't, you don't go, well, I can work that off. A few extra hours at the church, woohoo! Right? It's, it's a debt that can't be paid. It's an unpayable debt. It's a debt of such consequence that nothing that servant would ever do would be able to overcome it. So he responds and says, I will pay back everything he begs. And again, he's looking for mercy. He's saying, give me mercy and just let me pay it back. But the master goes so much further. The master shows the outrageous grace of the kingdom. The master has compassion for him and he cancels his debt. He doesn't say you can pay it back. He says, guess what? Your debt is done. Wouldn't you love for your bank to do that? You owe 38 billion. No, you don't. I mean, you'd be crazy happy, wouldn't you? It's extraordinary grace. It's an unbelievable forgiveness. The servant didn't deserve it. He racked up that debt. We don't know how. The story doesn't tell us. In fact, how he racked up the debt doesn't really matter. It's that he had it. And so often what we do is when we look at others around us, we focus on how they've racked up their debt, racked up their sin, rather than the fact that they just owe a debt just like we do that we cannot pay. And his compassion, the master just forgives it. He lets it go. It's outrageous grace, and it brings such freedom. You know, the first year that Tori and I got married, we went straight into missions. We didn't really mean to. And by that, we, we thought we might spend a little while in ministry, but I already owned a small company, and Tori had a teaching thing, and we were going to, like, go, you know, do normal things, right? And instead, we went on our honeymoon, which was meant to be an around-the-world trip, and we stopped in Scotland, and we've never left the U.K., <laughs> So I kind of owe Tori a trip around the rest of the world, you know. Every now and then she goes, could we ever see Rome, Thailand? So one day. But When we started that first year, we were just kids. I mean, we were like 23 and 21. We got married and we left three weeks later with two suitcases. And we didn't know anything about anything. And in that first year, we were living on just a couple of hundred dollars a month. We we were living on missionary support. We had so little. And at the end of that year, we got a tax bill. We have a thing in America called Social Security. And even though I live here, and I have now for nearly 30 years, I still have to pay taxes in America. It's called taxation without representation, and it's wrong. No, I'm just kidding. It's not the the message for this morning. I'm only kidding. Let it go. Let it go. If you're at home, if you're in America, let it go. Let it go. Sorry. Let it go. Okay. But I got the tax bill, and it was like you owe... And it's like national insurance. It's like you didn't pay national insurance for a whole year and suddenly you got your whole national insurance bill. And it was like $2,750. You know what? We were living on like $100, $200 a month. $2,750 could have been $2,750,000,000. It was way more than we could ever dream of. It was a bill that was beyond our possibility to pay. And we were in free fall. I was like, what have I done? I brought my wife out here She married me. She said, I will go where you go. And I went, I will go directly into debt to the government without knowing I've done it. And then I will have no hope of us ever paying it back. And when we were in that place of really despair, we were like crying, God, what are we going to do? There was a couple in America who found out about this, and they were talking. And one night, the wife said to the husband, we could pay that whole bill. And the husband went, we could pay that whole bill. And the wife said, let's do it. And so they called us, and this wasn't like you got a mobile phone. This was in 1994, so people had to call. What they did is they rang a thing like this, and they went. (laughs) Some people, Jim, you were there. You call up, and you're like. Can you? (laughs) Sorry. They actually had to call us on a landline. And we answered the phone, and they went, listen, we heard about your tax bill. we were like, hmm? And they went, we just want to pay it. We want you to be free. And I remember The freedom that filled my soul, it was so beyond me, and I couldn't believe the generosity. Now, in all the years since then, I have believed the Lord for so much more money, but there was nothing quite like that moment of being set free. And that's the freedom that this servant was given. That's the freedom that he's experiencing. And if we stopped there, that'd be a great story. We'd be like, wow, we all owe 10,000 bags of gold, and we could never pay it. And God is so loving and good that when we come and beg for mercy, He says the debt is paid; it's done. It'd be great, but the story goes on because there's a bigger story being told. That servant who's been forgiven goes out and finds another servant who owns him a hundred silver coins. Now, just for perspective, in the original language, the silver coins are denarii, or denarius, in the, the proler. And and a a single denarius was was just one day's wages. So that servant owed him 100 days wages. So there's a huge disparity between the debts that were owed. But this servant who's just been set free, instead of exhibiting the same mercy that he's received, actually says to the person, give me that money back. And then that servant gets down on his knees and says the same thing, be patient with me, let me pay it back. But the unmerciful servant doesn't. He throws him into jail. And in those days, listen, when you were thrown into jail for debt, it was a life sentence because when you were in jail, you couldn't work. And once you were unable to pay your debt, you just stayed in debt, stayed in jail forever. So, of course, when the master hears this story, he responds accordingly. Then he holds that servant to the same standard the servant held the other one to. And Jesus finishes with saying, this is how the Father will do you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Ouch. Now here's what we can do. We can focus on the devastating part of the story or we can actually hear, if we have ears to listen, what Jesus is saying about the loving and gracious character of God and how that is meant to be replicated in us, not as an action, but as a lifestyle. And actually, it's really helpful for us to go back just a few verses earlier to understand deeper the context that this story came up in. If we go literally to the verses just before this, this is the conversation that's going on when Peter asks that question and Jesus tells that story. This is from 15 to 17 of Matthew 18, those verses. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's a rabbinical quote there. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to remember here. First off, in the context of this story, there's not the church as we know it now. When Jesus is talking about the church, he's talking about the community of people who are following him and the believers around him, the Jesus people who are following him. So what he is saying is he's not trying to give us a structure for church forgiveness. He's going, work this out with other believers that you're following me together with. It's not like that when Jesus was saying this, he meant the first Baptist church of Milledgeville. You know, lovely place in Georgia, by the way. Or the second Methodist church. The second Methodist church because they got mad at the first Methodist church and they all left and started the second one. And they didn't forgive each other. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't seen a fourth Methodist church, but there is a third. So anyway. So we need to be very careful that we don't read this as a prescription for church behavior, but instead of a lifestyle of what it means to be a community of faith dealing with difficulties and people who disagree with one another. Jesus goes so further, though, than what the rabbis demanded. And and at the end of it, he says these words, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, for years, what we've done is we have done this in the context of like church organization, and then we've gone. So, if someone doesn't believe what we believe and do what we want them to do and act the way we want them to do, then we'll treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And we've assumed that means. Whoosh. But how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Ah. Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors very differently because he's telling a bigger story. If we look at the way Jesus lived, he was good news to pagans and tax collectors. He reached out to them over and over. He ate with them. He went to their house for lunch. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? He sat as a sinful pagan woman, bathed his feet with her tears in Luke chapter 7. He even chose a tax collector as one of his 12 disciples. See, when we start to put those stories together, we begin to see that the way that we've been shown outrageous grace by God through Jesus, that means that we realize that we must become agents of that grace as well. We must be people who live with incredible, outrageous grace to pagans, tax collectors, People who disagree with us, people who don't believe what we believe, people on the other side of all the tribal divides that we live with now that we act like are just okay, people on the other side of these culture wars that consume our politics and our Facebook feeds, and God have mercy on us. It's such outrageous grace. And if we go back even more, if we go back a little further up in the scripture before this story is told, there's one other story. And it helps frame this perfectly. Just from verses 12 to 14 of Matthew 18. So I'm literally just going backwards in the scripture just to give you context. What do you think, Jesus said, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. The one that wandered off, that's the heart of the father. The one that wandered off. And that's the heart of Jesus. And that's the context that Jesus sets and then tells the story of this deep forgiveness and of this lifestyle Of forgiveness. It's something deeper than just grace. It's the grace that gets expressed in kindness, sacred kindness, elemental, powerful, Holy Spirit filled sacramental kindness, the scandalous kindness of the kingdom. And what I think Jesus is trying to get at there is this idea where Peter goes, What if I forgive seven times? This person really doesn't agree with me. Their lifestyle is not okay. What if I let it go seven times and Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You're going to learn to live a lifestyle of love, a lifestyle of sacramental kindness. What does it mean to be a people of that kind of scandalous kindness? Why do I call it scandalous? Because it's scandalous that this servant racked up that debt And that the master said, in my kindness and my grace, I forgive it. And then it's scandalous that the servant went away and didn't live with that kindness. The scandalous kindness of the kingdom doesn't fit into our little boxes very well. It's a kindness that forgives as a lifestyle. A kindness that reaches out to tax collectors and pagans, to the broken, the lost, the difficult, the different the ambivalent, the apathetic, the disagreeable, the other from us. A kindness that goes beyond acts of kindness to holy, sacramental lives of kindness because we have been shown kindness. We have been forgiven of a debt that we could have never paid, a debt that was greater than all the gold in the world. So often we've I tried to pack all that down into this tiny little phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. A phrase which sisters and brothers is not in the Bible. Now I'm not saying that we don't want to run away from sin, that we don't want to call sin what it is. You've heard me preach on sin from this very stage. But that love the sinner, hate the sin, sometimes what we've done is we've gotten amazingly good at hating the sin, but we have fallen down on loving the sinner. We need a sacramental kindness that only the Holy Spirit can do for us to love those who are different than us. I've just been in the States. <laughs> it's so, everything's so divided. Everyone's so angry with each other. Everyone's trying to be right about everything and everyone is sure that they're right. And while I was there, I was so upset about that and then God began to speak to me in my heart about Have I become unkind to people who even feel that way? Have I become unkind to the churches that I don't think are loving well? To the people who don't agree with me politically? And you broke my heart. Even if we take that phrase, love the sinner and hate the sin, here's the reality. The only sin we can do anything about is our own, right? Right? Can you control the sin of another? But you can, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, right? Uh I can't fix your sin. I'm not Jesus. He is. So why don't we do the part that we can do, which is the loving part, and let Jesus take care of the sin part. What if we lived with such sacramental kindness? What if we stopped saying, I love you, but, and just started saying, I love you. I know that we go, oh, but we've got to let them know we disagree with their lifestyle. They know we disagree with their lifestyle already. They know. What they don't know is that they are loved and that we get to be the agents that say you are loved and we join in that love because you have been loved since the beginning of creation because you were created to be loved and for love. And you may not see it yet, but you're not going to see it by me showing you how you racked up your debt. You're going to see it by me letting you know I, was, I owed 10,000 bags of gold and I was forgiven. What would it be like if we became a movement of sacramental kindness that just said, I love you? I'm not saying we agree with sin. I'm not saying any of that. But brothers and sisters this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you can tune this part out. It's okay. But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we need to be known for the fact that we love because we have been loved. Not just what we stand against. But what we're for, and let me tell you what we are for. We are for the one that wandered away. We are for the pagan and the tax collector. We are for the broken and the lost. We are for the people on the other side of the political divide. We are for the people that that drive us crazy. We are for the difficult neighbor. We are for the apathetic teenager. We are for them. We love them. No buts. Just we love you. Done. And we trust the Holy Spirit to take care of the sin because Jesus sorted that on the cross. I'm gonna get um, Steph and uh, Leah to come up and we're just gonna respond. I, we're just get a few minutes. This morning as we worshiped in 930, it happened again in this service as well. It was so weird, I can't believe it happened again. But as we began to worship, it was really stunning in the 930. It was just so much louder. But as we were worshiping, the, the music was rising and rising and rising and then suddenly it all dropped. And suddenly there was this roar sound. And I went, are we hearing angels? But Then I realized it was the rain on the roof. Listen, (laughs) do you hear it? And it was a heavy rain. And it had come on us unawares. We were just looking at Jesus. And suddenly the rain poured down on our dry and dusty ground. And this morning as we worshiped again, the rain started up again. And for some of us this morning, what we've done is we've in our desire to be right, we've forgotten how to love and we've let bitterness and unforgiveness grow in our hearts so much and our hearts have become these dry deserts. And we keep saying, God, I feel so dry. Why aren't you speaking to me? And this morning, if we would just turn our eyes to Jesus, the heavy rain of his mercy may fall on our dry, dusty hearts, even unaware. Goodness. Goodness because we need a miracle to be loving and kind. We know how to tell people what they're doing wrong. We do that in our own power, but we need a miracle to be loving and kind. We need a miracle to not be unmerciful servants. We need a miracle to be people who go, I've been forgiven at 10,000 bags of gold. I know you get 100 coins of silver. I just love you. Let's stand together. We're just gonna respond. Leah just start to play for us there. Holy Spirit, come. Here's how we're going to respond this morning. Um, Just as Leah plays, I'm just going to ask you to come forward this morning. And and there's quite a few categories. So just take a second. I'll tell you so that you don't feel like you're getting called out, okay? But for some of you this morning, you realize that unforgiveness has filled your heart so much there's no more room for love inside. And you need a heavy rain to fall and wash out all the stuff that's piled up in there. And if that's you, come. I'm just gonna ask you to come and kneel or stand if you wanna respond. Some of you have never seen the kindness of God. You know all the stuff you've done wrong. You've been told by everyone around you. Some of you are carrying deep wounds from the church or churches. And this morning, I'm not going not gonna to make excuses for that. I just say in the name of Jesus, I apologize when we told you you were wrong instead of telling you you were loved. And I don't mean that we don't call out sin for what it is. It's just that Jesus' job is the sin. Our job is the love. And so this morning, if you need the kindness of Jesus, come. And you can just come and kneel or stand here, and some people are going to come and pray for you. And I also have a sense this morning that there may be some people in this room who you know you need kindness. You know that you need something to break open in your heart for you to learn how to live and and, and live with with kindness and and love, to, to live with forgiveness. You may be right now thinking of a person or a group of people that you disagree with and that you've been wounded by or that you really disagree with or you really think are dangerous. All of these things. And this morning, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus wants to come and crack open those hard, dusty places and allow His grace to remind us that we've been forgiven of 10,000 bags of gold. And we should go and do likewise. So if that's you, just come. The rest of us are just going to take a moment and be in His presence. Just make your way right to the front. We're just gonna, some, some guys from the team are gonna come and pray. They're just gonna pray, they're gonna pray for you. You don't have to tell them anything. Yeah, just come on up. Right here, buddy. You're right in this space, my man. You're right in this space. Right on, brother. Come on. If you've never met Jesus before this morning, <laughs> you're coming right up. I did, I did, didn't I? <laughs> What's your name, man? can I pray for you
1: yeah you can continue to keep coming as Trey prays I want to encourage you if you feel fear in this moment of coming to the front of people seeing you I want to encourage you that um, as you step through that fear that God will meet you in this place there's peace The enemy loves to throw up smoke and mirrors in these moments and make it feel like the fear is just gripping. I had that moment. I was at a conference this weekend and I I had a moment where I just felt so scared of something that God was asking me to do, and I was crying my eyes out because it felt so overwhelming. And then I just knew that His gentle hand. He showed me that it was in His gentleness that He would show me how to do it. And so He took my hand, not physically, but I could imagine him taking my hand and taking me into that place so I want to encourage you I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done myself but when I did that when I did the thing that he asked me to do I felt such peace and actually it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be all the things that I'd built up in my head of what it was going to be just disappeared because I was with God in that moment So I want to encourage you to come forward, even if you just need a fresh encounter with the Lord this morning. None of that stuff made sense, but you're hungry for more of God. I want to encourage you just to come forward. He is here and He is moving. For some of us, you can keep moving as I'm talking. For some of us, we have become just scared of stepping out. The, we have a heart for the major- the minorities in our community and we have been so passionate about seeing them encounter the love of God. And so when Trey is speaking this morning, you're like, wow, yes, you're saying it, you're, you're doing the thing and actually what I felt like God was saying is for some of us though, we've become hardened towards the church because we've seen them as not doing enough for the minorities. And I felt like God just wanted to challenge that heart again, but in his beautiful, gentle way, just to remind you that actually his love is at the center of that.
0: Yeah, one last thing. (laughs) I love them. I love the boldness of a man who'll walk right on the stage to encounter Jesus. One one other thing, listen, I know we're over time, we're we're wrapping up right now, but um, at the end, I'm gonna be over here on the side and I wanna pray for parents this morning who are struggling with kids. Um, You're... um, You've raised them right and all that stuff, but you you things are going wrong and your heart is so broken. And you need right now, you need something supernatural to help you learn how to love even when you can't fix the problems. And if you're a parent this morning and you're struggling, and you've got a child who's struggling, I'd love to pray for you. And I'll be right over here on the side and I'll pray for as many people as show up. We'll just take the time to do it. May the Lord bless you. May his peace be with you. Let's go in kindness and his grace, remembering that we've been forgiven of a debt we could never pay. And we carry that grace and that mercy into a world of pagans and tax collectors who need to hear this good news that they're loved by God, that Jesus would go after them this moment celebrate as they came right on the
1: stage Amen Yeah we're going to soft close because people are
0: Thank you for joining us for our podcast today For more information, resources and
1: opportunities you can check us out at www.cosbycoastvenyard.com